Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. All right, I'm going to read a classic text, or at least part of one, tonight or today. So listen carefully. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, and they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every tramping boot of battle and blooded garments of war will be buried as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forever. Amen. Join me as we pray. Our Father, we we come to you and ask you that you would open our eyes that they might be enlightened, that we might know what is the hope of our calling, that we might know what is the great riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints and especially the exceeding greatness of your mighty power that you exercised in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand. And so we pray that that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead would would illumine every heart today as we hear the word of God. And be especially with Pastor Mike and anoint him as he preaches it. We pray that your word would have power, that it would be living and active like a sharp two-edged dagger. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, Glenn, for leading us. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Yeah? Well, great is good in the land of COVID, right? Um, Good is good in the land of COVID. Uh, Yeah, so like like many of you, um, we have uh, experienced a lot of change and a lot of loss, and uh, for the first time ever, we didn't have Thanksgiving with our extended family um, because of COVID. And typically, this time of year, Thanksgiving is what starts kind of the change of pace as we enter into the Christmas season. We want to be around family and friends. We want to eat good food. We want to talk about all the things that we are thankful for. And above all, this time of year, uh, for me personally, and I hope it's the same for you, that it's a time that we just really deep dive in and reconnect with Jesus. Um, I think somewhere deep down inside of all of us that we want the hope, the security, and the warmth that comes from uh, a deep connection with Jesus. And more than anything during this series, I want to help us uh, get a little closer to that hope, to that warmth, and to that security. I don't know any better way to do that than to look at piece by piece at the gift that God has brought to earth by giving us His Son by delivering us his son from the womb of a woman in a stable in Bethlehem. Because imagine this. Imagine if, if you really understood who God wants to be in your life, especially right now. Imagine how that would change you, how it would give you clarity, how it would give you courage and understanding 
and hope. And, and, and boy, don't we need hope in our culture right now, don't we? More than ever before. I think we all desperately need clarity, courage, understanding, and hope. And I think this is why God couldn't wait to write down the text in Isaiah 6, 9, 6 so many years ago. I think that he couldn't wait to tell people how wonderful his son would be when he finally came to earth. So instead of just announcing it like one or two days beforehand, God chose to announce it 700 years before Jesus was born. God chose the prophet, a man who is very near and dear to him. He said, Isaiah, I need you to write this down and tell my people all about it. Here's what I want you to write down. Here's what I want everybody to know who my son is going to be. And he says, he is going to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace to each and every one of us. He did this because so many people then and even now need that clarity, need courage, need understanding, and they need hope. They need the hope that comes from Jesus. So God began announcing the news of his son 700 years before he arrived. I remember when I was a teenager, I think I was 12 or 13, maybe maybe 13 years old, my dad told us that that he was going to take us, the family, to Hawaii. And they had been planning that, they had planned that trip for a year. But I remember as it got closer, I would tell my friends, hey, look, I get to take a week off of school because I'm going to Hawaii. Now, at the time, I probably was more excited about taking a week off of school than going to Hawaii. It would be different now. But you see, I was sharing that months in advance because I was so excited about it. As early as As 700 years ahead of time, God was so excited about the difference that his son would make, he started telling people about it. He started telling his friends about it. The book of Isaiah was written in 700 B.C., and we know from historical facts that Isaiah lived from 760 B.C. to 680 B.C., and a copy of this scripture was on display in Tel Aviv in Israel 100 years before Jesus was born. Isn't that incredible? As I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that during the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some words that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah that ties us back to people who needed courage, uh, clarity, understanding, and hope for 27 centuries. I don't know that you've ever studied anything older than this, and we're being tied to 27 centuries of God's people who needed hope. Long before Jesus came, people who felt like they were in darkness, the scripture says, were looking at this description of God's son and saying, this now brings me hope. This brings me that warmth. This brings me that security that I need. So let me read you again, verse 9. It says this, for to us a child was born, to us a son was given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And so for the next four weeks during our Christmas season, we're going to look at these four names and dive deep into uh, the meaning of what uh, they stand for. And so we're going to begin with Jesus being called the Wonderful Counselor. And listen to me, as I, as I walk you through what it means uh, to be the wonderful counselor, I hope that you'll never look at the manger scene again without uh, anticipating the wonder of the person who lays in it. 
Isaiah didn't write this book in English. He actually wrote it in Hebrews. So, so in order to get the real full meaning of wonderful counselor, we have to go back to the Hebrew because the English language just does not do it justice. The name for, for wonderful counselor is Pelo Hits. Pelo Yohits. And that means wonderful counselor. The, 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 the Pele, it means wonderful. But again, in the, the English word just, just doesn't do it any justice. Pele goes far beyond wonderful. It's used dozen of times throughout the Old Testament, and it does mean wonderful in the sense of this. Like, like Pele means, got that other definition up there? Yeah, it's like a cut above or better than anyone else could expect to do because it usually describes something, that, something so great that only God can do it. Almost all of the Bible references to Pele is, is referring to God. Job uses it when he says this. He says, he performs wonders, there's the word Pele, wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. You see, he's, he's equating uh, uh, miracles to, that can't be counted to this wonders, which is Pele. David says this about God. He says, you are great and do marvelous deeds, there's the word, and you alone are God. Like no one else. This, this is a cut above all the rest. This, this is something that only God can do. This word marvelous is Pele. And then you have the, the Yohits is to, is to give advice or to guide. This means counselor. This is the definition of counselor. But in our day and age, when we think of counselor, we, we often think of that person sitting on the other side of the couch, right? Asking us, you know, like, you know, how did you grow up? And how did you do this? And they're writing notes. But that's not what a counselor was in ancient times. Counselors were not therapists. They were strategists. Counselors advised on how to win a war or how to win a political campaign or how to organize a new business venture. Counselors in ancient times didn't listen to your inner child, right? Counselors advised kings and they advise, or they advised other people of importance to take the best course of action, whatever the circumstances were facing. And Jesus here, so Jesus being described as a wonderful counselor is saying he is a cut above. He is the best. He is, he is an extraordinary counsel who, counselor who gives amazing counsel. This way of talking about God is, is how his plans and purposes ought to fill us with this kind of wonder, this kind of wonderment. Are you blown away? Are you mesmerized by what God is doing on the earth today? Do you know that he is, he is in control even in, when we think our whole world is out of control? And are you mesmerized by that? When we see his plans revealed through his child, it ought to set us back and just marvel at what he's doing. Author Anne uh, Lamna, she, she wrote a book called uh, Help, Thanks, Wow. And it's a, it's a book on prayer. And I like how she describes the response to wow. Listen to this. She says, wow, she says, is often with a gasp, a sharp intake of breath, when we can't think of another way to capture the sight of, of shocking beauty or destruction. All of a sudden, unbidden insight or, or unexpected flash of grace. Wow means that we are not dulled to wonder. We click into being fully present when we're stunned at, at that gasp. Wow is about having one's mind blown by the mesmerizing or the miraculous. This is what he's, they're trying to say here. This is what wonderful counselor, wonderful Pele really means. 
Like his plans ought to blow our minds. We should be mesmerized with the miraculous. We should be shocked at the beauty of Jesus. We should just, our minds should be blown. So if you're following along with your notes, this is the first thing that leads me to today. Jesus is a cut above all the other counselors because he reveals God's wonder-filled wisdom for the world, and it should cause us to say, wow. What wows you today? The many things that wows us today. I mean, we, we get bombarded with advertisements. We get bombarded with ideas. Uh, Google, you just go to Google, and, and Google haunts you. They, they actually trace your, your advertisements, and, they, and they're, they're whole set out, the, the whole purpose is to set out to wow you so that you'll purchase things. But God says, does God wow you? Does God, are you mesmerized with what God is doing? Before 2021, when I was far from God, I wasn't experiencing God's input or guidance in my life. Many people were speaking into my life at that time, but they weren't after my best interests. They didn't have my best interests in mind, but, but the day I invited Jesus into my life, he became a wonderful counselor to me. He became a wonderful counselor to me. When I was trying to figure out a career, he made it clear to me that I ought to prepare for ministry. And little did I know that that, that, that I'd be here 10 years, 15, 10, 11 years later. After being ordained as a pastor, God guided and advised me not to be a church planner, which was seriously popular in, in our circles, but to be somebody who would, who would partner with an existing church to help revitalize churches. And this is what brought me here to this church. That, that led me here to encounter. So the question is, I want to ask you, is who is counseling you today? You are listening to somebody. You are listening to somebody. You are getting advice from somebody. You are following somebody. The question is, who are you following? Are you following the wonderful counselor? Or are you following the advice of a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Are you following, uh, are you listening to the people in your circle of influence? And are they a good counsel or not? I guarantee you this. They're not as wonderful as Jesus. They're not going to, and look, <laughs> who are you listening to? This is a huge question that I think each and every one of you needs to ask. I'm telling you right now that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's able to counsel us daily on how to handle our personal life, how to spend our money, how to raise our children, how to treat others, and how to respond to the evil that's going on in our world. Jesus will give us counsel. I'm going to walk through some verses in Luke chapter 8, a few a few. Uh, years into Jesus's ministry, Luke describes a run of wonderful counsel that he dispensed upon people one circumstance after another, and it's fascinating. You got to strap your seatbelts on when you're when you're in Luke chapter eight. And so, let's he, in Luke chapter eight, he says that Jesus restored a, a man's life who was being tormented by demons for a very long time, and then after this man, after Jesus exercised the demons out of this man. He was kind of realizing what had happened to him. And then this is what the Bible says. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. Now that sounds pretty, pretty understandable, isn't it? Like, like you're, you're tormented by demons uh, the majority of your life. And then Jesus heals you and extracts those demons. And he just wants to hang out more with Jesus. He just wants to be with the guy that saved him. He wants to, he's so grateful. He wants to soak up all that Jesus has. And so he begs him, please, can I go with you? 
please, can I hang out with you? Can I just, can I just, I'll, I'll carry all your bags. I'll polish your sandals. I'll do whatever you want. I want to go with you, Jesus. And, and, and any normal teacher would say, man, that's, that's great. This is going to give me more of an opportunity to teach him all that I know. Uh, maybe he'll be a, a, a big help to me. And, and, and uh, heck, another hand would be great, right? But that's not what Jesus says. He has different counsel for him. Instead, this is what he says. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you know, I appreciate the desire to want to be with me, but you have been tormented by demons for so long, and your family needs to see this miracle that has happened in your life. You have not been effective in your home because you've been tormented, and now they need you. They need to see that you're healed, and you need to go help them. You need to go back into your family. You need to be a help to your family now that you're well. And then while you're there, do me a favor. Tell everybody about me. Tell everybody about what God has done for you. And so in verse 39 completes the story, and it says this. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. You know, other people might have given this guy counsel, and it could have been good. But Jesus' counsel was a a cut above. It was better than good. This man not only gets to serve his family, but he also gets to share the wonderful work of Jesus. And it's safe to say that this man's testimony would lead a ton of people to Jesus. Immediately following that, we read this in verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned and a crowd welcomed him, they were all expecting him. So Jesus is getting pretty popular in the town right now. Then a man named Jairus the ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So, so try to imagine this second guy here, Jairus, and, and, and how he must have been feeling. The scriptures say that he is a leader in the local church, so probably fairly mature guy, uh, probably wields some power and authority in his circles. And, and but he can't do anything about his daughter because his daughter's dying. There's, desperate, there's desperation upon this leader, this guy who has it somewhat together. So put yourself in Jarius' sandals. You've got the wonderful counselor here. Jesus agrees to go help the daughter, and he, he, she's dying, and there's really not much time. Let's see what happens next in verse 42. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So, so they're slowing down. The crowds are just coming around him. Word is getting out that this amazing, wonderful counselor is in town, and, and, and now he's getting crushed by the people. Then we read this in verse 43. It says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So why do you suppose that she's in the crowd? Because she's been trying for 12 years to be healed. And then she hears this amazing work. She's discovered Jesus has the abilities to heal her that he's a cut above all the rest of healers, and now she's hoping that he can help her too. Verse 44 says, she, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. You see just what happened right here? Like she, she, she was hoping against hope that Jesus was going to be able to heal her. She works her way through this thick crowd of people, which would never happen in COVID land, Right? She works her way through crowds of people pressing in, and she touches his cloak just for the, for the sake of hoping to get his attention, get the attention of the mighty counselor. And then 
And then as she touches the cloak, she's immediately healed, way more than she ever expected, I bet. Far better, a cut above of what she even expected. She's hoping to get his attention. And now after 12 years of bleeding, I'm sure she's thinking that Jesus is an amazing person. She gets more than she hoped for. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Listen to this. This is what he says. He turns around and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, now, now what, are you thinking that, that, what do you think Jarius is thinking right now? It's like, come on, Jesus. Who cares who touched you? There's a ton of people around here. And, and you're saying, who touched me? Don't you realize I have my daughter? She's at the house. She's dying. The time is running out. But Jesus doesn't seem to be in a hurry. He says, who touched me? And then Peter answers the question, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. What are you talking about? We're we're getting bombarded here. And then Jesus answers, he says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Again, at this point, if you're Jairus, what are you thinking? You're like, who cares? Just let it go. My daughter, you remember 12 years old? She's dying. Let's keep moving, Jesus. But in verse 47, we read this. The woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. See, Jesus waits for this testimony to come. And and why does he wait for this to come? The answer is found in the next verse. It says, then he said to her, daughter, listen to this, your faith has healed you. I want you to go in peace. You see, Jesus is far more, uh, he, he is not just content with, with healing this woman physically. He's totally interested in her heart. He wants to counsel her. He has some words for her that, that, so that she wouldn't wonder if her touching him had been some type of coincidence. Maybe she just got healed. Maybe, maybe there's a coincidence here. So he wanted to establish this relationship with her. He wanted to start this relationship with her and begin rebuilding her confidence after years of being sick and feeling invalid. He's like, no, this isn't happenstance. This isn't just happening. This is because you had faith in me. And so essentially he looks at her and he says, you did good, daughter. You did good. Your faith in me has healed you. I want you to know that that this is the connection. And this is wise counsel. You see, not not only go just with a healed body, go with a healed heart too, that you may have lasting peace. This leads me to the next point, number two in your bulletin. Jesus is concerned with our physical needs, but he is more concerned with our hearts. Our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior leads us to lasting peace in any circumstance. You see, this healing wasn't a promise that she would never get sick again, but it was the counsel that she needed to go along with her healing. She needed to know that there's lasting peace that comes through only through faith in the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of what? Peace. Meanwhile, Jarius is still here. I mean, I'm certain he's crushed with worry and and they're not going to make it to his little girl in time. And then the next verse, his worst nightmare is realized. Look at verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, 
Someone came up to, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. He said, your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. So what would you expect right here from a normal counselor? I mean, I counsel people. I've counseled people that have lost loved ones. And my counsel would be, gosh, I'm so sorry. Send my condolences. You know, we offer some grief counseling for you if you need it. That would be normal counsel. Well, I wish we could have done more. But I'm sorry for your loss. But that's not the counsel that Jesus gives. He gives wonderful counsel here. Listen to this. Verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jarius, don't be afraid, just believe. She will be healed. (laughs) You just heard your daughter's dead. Isn't this good counsel? Like they just received counsel that their daughter is dead. And now he's saying, no, no, I don't be afraid. I need you to just believe because she will be healed. Look at what happens next in verse 51. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not go in, he did not let anyone go with him except John or Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all of the people were welling and mourning for her. Listen to what Jesus says. Stop welling. <laughs> she is not dead, but asleep. That's good counsel. But how did they respond to the counsel? Look at the next verse. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. You know, you're going to, you're going to have to take a step of faith here, family. Listen to this. Everybody at home, listen loud and clear. You're going to have to take a step of faith here. You're going to believe in Jesus' counsel. God is going to speak some things into your life that isn't very popular in our culture. You're going to say, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, there is hope. And they're going to be like, you're crazy. And they might even laugh at you. But whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to be so stuck to CNN and Fox News and and, and CBS and and, and everything is just doom and gloom? Or are we going to have hope in a wonderful counselor that brings us security? Oh, God, how I needed this over the last few months. I'm preaching to myself, by the way. They laughed at him. Look at verse 54. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them, give her some food to eat. (laughs) Would you feed her now, please? Like, she's been sick for a very long time. Now she's well. She probably could use some food. What do you think Jairus is thinking at this moment? You know what he's thinking? He's thinking Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Jesus is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. He has done more than I could ever hope for and imagine. And while other people are laughing at Jesus' counsel, Jesus, uh, Jairus and his wife are rejoicing. You could believe that. Why? Because God is a wonderful counselor. God is a healer. When God says he's going to do something, it's true. What the prophet Isaiah could only see, like 700 years before this happened, God peered into human history and he says, my son is going to be an amazing counselor like you've never, ever seen before. And what Isaiah can only see in an outline, we now see in full color right here. This child to be born, this son to be given, this, this, this would be God's wonderful counselor. Just think about it for a minute. God would, would come in the flesh 
Just think about the incarnation of Jesus. It should be mind-blowing. He is the embodiment of God's saving, saving plan for the world. This kind of plan should blow our minds. Think about it for a minute. Like, like consider his, him coming to earth and what a wonder it is. Like when God decided to redeem the world, he chose to unite divinity and humanity. He chose the infinite to take on the finite. Like who would ever come up with this plan? Like a sovereign and holy God wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger? Who would come up with this plan? Are you serious? But, but this is how God redeems the world. By becoming in every respect like one of us, yet without sin. Now consider his life. That not, not, consider his life that not only does God li- like do all these amazing things like healing and, and, and sharing and all these things, but he just lived in a way that was super humble. He, di- he displayed God's wisdom perfectly, and, he, and, and, and he, did, he didn't live like high on the hog. He didn't live like in a palace in royalty. Instead, he lived in lowliness and meekness and humility. He was born of a poor virgin girl. He was a common man growing up. He worked as a carpenter. He was one who came not to be served, but to serve. The Bible says, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty may become what? Rich. Think about Jesus' death. He died, and the Bible says, in our place for our sins. Not for his sins. He had none. We read this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is an amazing plan. This should cause wonder and awe of us. But even more than this, because he was in our place, he had to endure the fury of God's wrath poured out on him for all of our sin. Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we would not be forsaken for eternity. What a good plan. God gave him judgment so that we could receive mercy. This is the plan of a wonderful, wonderful counselor from wonderful wisdom of God in salvation. Consider the resurrection, family. He was crucified, he died, and he was buried, and then he laid there for two days. And then on the third day, against all odds, God triumphs over the grave by raising Jesus from the dead. There is hope against all hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as God defeats death. What are we worried about today? What are we, what is the, we just heard a news report that there might be over 400,000 deaths by January. 400,000 deaths by January in our nation because of COVID-19. How desperately does our people in our community, does your neighbor, does your friends in your circle of influence need to hear some wonderful counsel from Jesus? Because we ain't promised tomorrow. We are absolutely not promised tomorrow. But Jesus, there's good news in Jesus Christ through his resurrection because God defeats death through Christ What Isaiah can only see in an outline, we can now see with the greater light of revelation in full color. This leads me to my next point, number three. We've got two more, and we're going to wrap it up. Jesus is the embodiment of God's saving wisdom, and it fills us with delight and surprise. 
mesmerizing us with unexpected grace. Are you still mesmerized by the fact that God loves you and saved you? Are you mesmerized with the fact that, that the God, the creator of the universe, humbled himself and took on flesh and came to earth? On, on the, and this is what we celebrate during Christmas? Does that just still blow your mind or not? I'm telling you, I needed to be constantly reminded of this. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that God led me to preach this message because Jesus continues to display his wisdom in and through today. And God, did I ever need this wisdom? God needed some wonderful counsel. This has been good for my soul. Are you still mesmerized by the fact that God has came, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and conquered death by being risen from the grave on your behalf? Are you? Is this is what is, is this is the foundation of what, why we celebrate today, Christmas. Jesus continues to display his wisdom in and through the body of Christ, the church. That's you through you and me. You don't believe me? This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. He says that the church are now the place where God reveals this wonderful counsel. Look what it says. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for the ages past has been kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent is that now through the church, say church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about it. The same impact that, that Jesus had by coming to earth. He's saying, I want to do this. I want to, I want to have the same impact in and through the church. That the church, that this thing that we call, uh, the, we call the body of Christ, this unlikely bunch, the, these radical misfits, these beautiful, in all of their beauty and oddness, <laughs> they are going to be the living testimony of the wonderful counselor. They are going to share wonderful counsel, amazing, mesmerizing, mind-blowing counsel with everyone, with everyone. This leads me to my final point. Number four today is this. And take this one home right here and, and meditate on this and share this with you. You guys got some study questions in there. Uh, take it home today and, and, and really go through this. The church as the body of Christ in all of our beautiful hotness, is the living testimony to the wonderful counselor who has put all of this, who has put this whole thing together in a way that surprises and delights us all. This is going to be a surprise and a delight to your neighbor. It sh- but it first has to be a surprise and delight in your own heart. Rekindle that flame. Rekindle that, light that spark again. Ask God to do something in your own heart right now. Because if you're not excited about the wonderful counselor, I don't know if your neighbor's going to be either. It's this time of year that makes me reflect on, like, the wonder-creating wisdom of God, even in my own salvation. I feel like I, my, my, my conversion was a miraculous one. I don't know. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know anything about the gospel. I didn't know anything about Christianity. But God found me, and he saved me. And it was a miracle. And that's my story. But every saving encounter with Christ, every act of conversion is what C.S. Lewis calls a case for being surprised by joy. 
When you come to Christ, you, you, you will meet a wonderful counselor. And, and, and you'll learn about his mesmerizing and miraculous plans for your life. And you should delight in that. You will both be surprised and you will be delighted, I promise you. Of course, it doesn't stop when you meet Jesus. The delight and the surprise continue as you learn to walk with him and discover that he is indeed a wonderful counselor. The question is, that's on you. The responsibility falls on you this season to get to know this Jesus, to get to know what he says. What has he said about you? Maybe if you don't think, if you're not mesmerized, if, you're not, if your mind isn't blown away by Jesus, maybe it's because you don't have a deep relationship with him. Maybe it's because you've, you've simply accepted the fact that he's, he's Lord and Savior, and you're just like, but you've never gone the next step and really got yourself deep into the word. Well, start with the Christmas story this year. Start with, with Matthew 1 and just go and, and, and just start reading Luke chapter 1 and go and start reading about Jesus. Get into John's gospel and, and just listen to and read uh, uh, all about him and the counsel that he gives so many people. Listen, he is indeed a wonderful counselor. His plans are always perfect. His ways are not what you would expect. But they are always gracious and they're always good. I promise you that. And as you walk with Jesus, you'll begin to realize that everything he said is in fact true. There is strength in weakness. There is blessing in brokenness. There is exaltation in humility. There is comfort in affliction. There is even life in the midst of death. All because Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth and, and this was your plan to redeem your people, that you came to be like us in every way, yet without sin. Jesus, we thank you for the way you modeled life. Your ways are perfect. Help us to receive that, Lord. Help us to follow you in this life and trust you. God, give us wonderful counsel to this, this, this Christmas season. Let us get close to you and your word. God, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And we thank you for, for, for raising from the dead, Lord, conquering death that we may never fear. I pray, God, that that wonderful counselor, that counsel would just soothe our hearts this Christmas season in the midst of so much chaos around us. I pray that we would focus on you, that that would bring our hearts security, hope, and warmth this season. In the midst of death, we have death all around us, Lord. Let us know that you are the author of life and that you save people from death. And so we're grateful for that. As we respond in worship today, I pray that you will touch our hearts, that you will cause us to take what we've heard today and worship you well. Worship you with our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.